Hello everyone and welcome back to Your Week with St. Luke's. As we continue in our new sermon series, Making It Real, um, looking at Kingdom of Heaven stories from the Gospel of Matthew. We looked at the Sermon on the Mount for six weeks and now we're looking at Kingdom of Heaven stories, which is the main theological concept of Matthew. Um, and today we continue with chapter 13, um, where we left off last week with these parables that Matthew uses from Mark, using the Mark parable context. Um, but Jesus then readapts them um, and to share his own stories and his own understanding for the church that Matthew is writing to. Now, remember, the kingdom of heaven was not a new concept to the particularly Jewish crowd that Matthew was writing for. They would have heard kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven stories or allusions in the Torah, in um, prophetic literature all along. But Jesus is continuing to help them see that with him, the kingdom of heaven has has entered in, has broken in, has become incarnate among them, and that it invites us to new expansions of our understanding, new definitions, new transformations of our understanding of the kingdom of heaven. What had been logical in understanding the ancient scriptures back in their day was now being challenged and stretched by this new inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven that came with the birth of the Messiah, Jesus. Now, last week, we focused on two parables, the mustard seed and yeast, that were used to describe the kingdom of heaven among us. Uh, Jesus used these two small parables, these short verses, to talk about the unexpected, mysterious working of God in the world that, that showed that the kingdom of heaven is right here among us. It's often hidden. We don't often see it. But through the power of God, it is growing and being revealed, and it will continue to grow to fruition until the day that the kingdom of God is fully realized and Jesus Christ returns. Now this week we continue in chapter 13, picking up with verses 44 all the way through the end. Now on Sunday we're going to concentrate on two parallel parables in verses 44 through 46, and then we'll move to the end of the chapter where Jesus is having a private conversation with the disciples. But today for the lecture we're actually kind of walk through all of these verses from 44 through the end, 53. So hear the word of God from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, starting with verse 44. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and reburied, and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, and on finding the pearl of great value he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. And when it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And finally, Jesus says, have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a household who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he left that place. 
is the word of God for the people of God. We say thanks be to God as we expand it and hear it in new ways tonight. Now, the first two parables, as I said, are are kind of parallel parables. They're parables that actually probably would have been connected together when Jesus told them or when Matthew wrote them. They're the pleasure, the parable of the treasure and the great pearl. And they're similar to one another in meaning, but then they have very unique differences that are really important to expressing and understanding the power of the kingdom of heaven and our search for them. They can be seen, as I said, as a couplet. And so let's talk about what they have in common. The kingdom is of heaven is not like the treasure or pearl. That's not what Matthew is trying to say. Actually, what is similar in these two is that the kingdom of heaven is being compared by Jesus to the actions of the protagonist in each of these stories. The basic meaning of both of them is that a protagonist will go and sell everything for the sake of that one thing that means so much and holds so much value. It's about someone who has discovered or experienced something of absolute precious value that cannot be found in any other place. And in doing so is willing to do anything and sell everything in order to to possess it, to inherit it, for it to be a part of their life forever. Now, the kingdom of heaven, if we go back to the Sermon on the Mount, verses uh, chapters 5 through 7, is of such value, Jesus is saying, that it should be our singular focus as disciples. And when we have experienced it, when, when the mysterious gift of, of a glimpse of what God intended for humanity all along comes to us, our discipleship towards that inheritance should be an all-in discipleship. We should stop at nothing we should, we should not let anything else ever be our focus against. Once we have found it, we want to seek it and seek it to become a part of who we are and the world around us. Now that's the similar point of both of these very short parables. But the tactics and circumstances around each of the protagonists is not only different, but offers us a really truly different message for either different people or different phases of our life in how we encounter the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at the first parable. It's about the treasure. Now this plowman, as it's described, is just going about his ordinary, everyday work life. He has no expectation that anything will be different than the routine of what he's always done. He doesn't have any idea that anything new or mysterious or certainly anything of great value is going to happen. When in a surprise moment, almost by accident, the plowman finds this amazing treasure. Uh, Now his actions that happen after, if you look at the ancient world especially, it would have been considered probably pretty unscrupulous, especially for those who follow the laws and the Torah. One would have normally believed that it was important that if they had found a treasure on land that was not their own, it would have been um, told and it would have been full disclosure, especially before trying to purchase this land. Um, But Jesus was known to talk about scandalous behavior and to be a part of scandalous behavior in the traditions of the day in order to show the power of the kingdom of God to provoke and break the rules um, of kind of the society. That 
is trying to show that the plowman was so, so, so overwhelmed by the excitement of finding this treasure of such great value that they, they knew the extent to which they needed to do, they would do anything in order to sell all they had and possess this treasure fully to themselves. Now the merchant, on the other hand, it says is seeking, searching diligent, very intentional about what he is looking for. He is looking for fine pearls, which would have been considered in the ancient world the most valuable of objects. He knows what he's looking for, he's searching for it, and when he finds it, he knows its value. He knows automatically what he needs to do. It was probably his plan all along that if he found the great pearl, he would sell everything in order to attain it. It was his goal from the beginning. Isn't it interesting how similar in the story of the action of both is a sense of urgency, a sense of being able to do anything to be able to keep what they found. But here we have two different experiences, just like we have in the world today. Many of us are just going about our ordinary days. We're just trying to get through. We're just trying to go through the routine and not expect anything great to happen. But it's in those moments that truly extraordinary things happen to us, where God embraces among us, where incarnational moments happen, where the kingdom of heaven breaks through. Maybe it's the, the birth of a child. Maybe it's an, an unexpected moment of great humanity that's been shown to us, a healing, a forgiveness. Tom Long says, in this moment, all at once, life becomes holy to us. And that happens not only to certain people, but it happens at moments in our life. And when it happens, we spend our life then probably becoming the merchant. We've experienced it. We've seen it. We've, we've known it. We've felt the Holy Spirit. We've felt those kingdom of heaven moments. And then we become like the merchant who is seeking and hungry, looking for meaning, wanting to make sense. And they're looking for something that maybe had grabbed their attention before and wanting to find it and have an encounter with that holy other. What's interesting is the parable of these parables is that whatever expression we find ourselves in and whatever moment we find ourselves in, and whether the plowman or the merchant, the same action happens that we have to have a sense of urgency, ready to be all in, in order to move heaven and earth to capture that moment, to inherit it, to possess it, to receive it in the fullness of what it is and not let it go. Now, the next parable is an interesting one. It's the parable of the net. It says the kingdom of God is like a net that has been thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. Now, this was probably a drag net, which meant it would be like six feet wide and hundreds of feet long. It would take multiple people throwing the net over the over the boats, much like the disciples we had seen in the disciples and other um, stories in the Gospels. It says when it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and then they began sorting. Good into the baskets, throwing out the bad. Now, often this parable is used to kind of express, this is a, a, the, the, the extravagance of evangelism and what the church and disciples should be about. They compare it to the sower and the seed in the beginning of chapter 13, that the, the sower, who is often considered to be God, throws seed out extravagantly in all soils, and we trust the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of heaven to be able to root it into life as it's needed. But Jesus doesn't take that. Jesus goes on to say, so it will be at the end of the age. 
when the kingdom of heaven comes, when Christ returns, when God makes God's space among us and the kingdom of heaven, the sovereignty of God's control and power is among us and rules and reigns on the earth, Jesus says, angels will come out and separate evil from righteousness, throwing them into the fire where there will be weeping and gnashing and teeth. Now, we don't like that. We don't like that understanding. Uh, but, but it's interesting because if you move back to hear, of course, where Jesus was talking about the fig tree and what Jesus was talking about the tree that bears fruit and the mustard bush that grows and provides shelter. This idea, again, this agrarian idea here is the same, where, where our life, according to the Sermon on the Mount, will produce fruit that shows that we are living into the kingdom of heaven ethic, kingdom of ethic logic, here on earth and it'll produce fruit then that is the byproduct of that the fruits of the spirit so to speak and and a fruit that proves that we are people who follow jesus and we gotta understand that there will be judgment now is there the fiery judgment that that is described in this very hyperbolic imaginative moment i'm not sure that i necessarily believe that but i do believe there is a moment where christ will come and we will stand in front of god and we will be asked, what did you do with your life? What did you do with all that I gave you? And if you believed in this kingdom of heaven, what did you do to experience the kingdom of heaven and produce fruit with your life that showed that that was the pearl that you wanted to hold on to with everything? Then Jesus goes on to explain to his disciples. And it feels like in this moment, he shifted. He's like speaking to smaller crowds until we get to this part. And he speaks just to his disciples. Have you understood all of this? They answered, yes. And, and there, would be, there would be that discipleship in Matthew, different than Mark. In Mark, the disciples would have said no, <laughs> because, because Mark had the mysterious son of God. It was a mystery up until the end. Um, and the disciples didn't always understand. But in Matthew, they do. In Matthew, from the very beginning, he teaches of the kingdom of heaven and the Sermon on the Mount. And then they move into this public ministry where the disciples are learning and growing and walking alongside him. And so have they understood this? Have they understood these seven parables? Have they understood the secrets of the kingdom of heaven? Yes. And then he said to them, and he gives them another parable of the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like. So there we have the, those who are disciples, who are scribes of the kingdom of heaven. It's like this. And he speaks about a master of a household that brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Now, it's interesting because normally in ancient sayings, but even now, we always talk about the old and the new, right? Um, but remember, the Matthean concept is that reversal of logic. So we, Jesus in this moment reverses the logic of the world would say the old and the new. But Jesus says, no, it's about the new and what is old. Because in this moment, what he wants them to understand is that their role as disciples, to be scribes of the, and masters of being able to express the kingdom of heaven, is to take these new concepts of the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings and the parables and what, what Jesus is offering them in this new way in the incarnation and to use all of that to then understand the old traditions, the old laws, 
the old prophecies, the old allusions to the kingdom of heaven that would have been a part of their tradition. Jesus is saying, use these new concepts of the kingdom of God, this new understanding that I'm giving you of the kingdom of heaven among you, and allow that to be the filter by which you understand the faith that was handed down through the generations to you. Which is interesting because it calls for us to use discernment. The kingdom of heaven is, a, is an understanding that, that every time we have a new experience of God, every time we have a new experience of that Holy Spirit moment like we had on Pentecost, we use that to interpret all that's been handed down to us. We've been talking about uh, to people in our office hours conversations both in the last series and in this series about um, where people have moved and grown from an, an old understanding, discerning what was true about Jesus, using Jesus as the, the filter, these in the kingdom of heaven as a filter to discard maybe that which doesn't hold value anymore, that which was extraneous to the, to the true foundation of God's love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the incarnation and the salvation moment, and making space to hold new things. But Jesus is saying, no, it, it's not, you don't discern the old on its own. You discern the old and what needs to be discarded and what needs to be kept based on the revelation of Jesus Christ and the experience of the kingdom of heaven and being able to know that once you have tasted it, you'll do anything to hold on to it and use it as your filter in life. So I hope you'll stay and listen to the Office Hours podcast as we um, speak to Lisa Williams, um, who has been going through her own kind of growth in her relationship with Christ, in her relationship with scripture. Um, and it has, it has given her an experience where she's following God and leading her life in new ways. Because all of this, we want you to learn the stories, learn the teachings of Jesus Christ, learn these parables and the understanding of the kingdom of heaven, live it together in life together groups, um, love God and love this story in the midst of worship, and then go lead your life because you are the primary theologian of your life. And when you lead your life with God's stories, it reveals the kingdom of God among us. See you next week and see you Sunday as we talk about this more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Your Week with St. Luke's. Um, we are continuing this new sermon series on uh, revealing the kingdom of God and looking at Matthew's parables of the kingdom of heaven, which he talks about a lot. And today we're looking at Matthew 13, um, verses 44 through 53. Um, it's multiple sayings that Jesus has about the kingdom of heaven is like um, treasure hidden in a field and someone buying, um, finding pearls and the idea that they they find this treasure and then they keep it and they do everything they can to hold on to it. But it's interesting because Jesus ends with, he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And so we as clergy were talking about how it's really about discernment. The kingdom of heaven requires a level of discernment where we hold on to the old treasure and what, what is good and beautiful and profound and what is, and, and which also means letting some things go. 
um, mm -hmm. because maybe the old doesn't really, really reveal or predict or share the kingdom of God as much. But in order to not only hold on the old, but make space for the new, like how is God revealing the kingdom of God in new ways in our life? And what's that new treasure? So we're here today to talk to St. Luke or Lisa Williams. So Lisa, tell us about yourself and how you came to St. Luke's. I came to St. Luke's on vacation because... <laughs> My folks moved here over 30 years ago, and I've been vis visiting since then. And when I moved to Florida a year ago, St. Luke's was a natural choice for me. Um, by then, I, I knew you. Bill Burns is a personal friend of our family, so it was a natural choice. I am recently, I'm calling it semi-retired. Uh, well, well, thanks. Well, I pursue my master's degree after a long career in human resources. I have a couple children. One is turning 30 next month. I have heartburned about that. Yep. <laughs> and I have a tiny puppy who I'm more than bananas for. I love that. <laughs> so you've done last, the last sermon series, Zoom Out, we talked to a lot of people who have done some deconstruction in their faith mm -hmm. and kind of like, again, looking at your faith and, and your history and and holding on, figuring out what is the treasure of the old that we mm -hmm. hold on to that then makes space for new. So can you tell us a little bit about what that's been like for you, that sure. discernment? Yeah. When I was a new single mother in my mid-30s, I went to a church in a movie theater, and that sounded fun. I could wear jeans, which was very novel to me, uh, especially because i gone here with my folks and it was not jeans at that no, time not at that time and my kids would go they got into youth group um, they were a bible preaching church mm, we know what that means i do now <laughs> i bet there were i bet there were no women yeah. preaching the bible in those churches oddly there were not if you, if you mm, have to specify not. it there that tells you something right <laughs> right i transitioned to a a another Bible preaching church that was a little bit larger. My kids continued in youth group, um, sometimes willingly, sometimes I shoved them out of the car, <laughs> thinking I was doing a great thing for them. But mm -hmm. um, then I, and I just went to that church. And, and at the time I was seeking friendships and relationships and, and I met a lot of people who became good friends and it, was a place where um, I definitely got to know the Bible. <laughs> right, mm. right. I did Which my, is a good thing. We yeah, like the Bible. We are a yeah. Bible preaching church. Big fan. Yeah. Right. It just I, becomes uh, code for. I did my things. my read throughs in a year multiple times. Mm -hmm. You know, I um, I I even remembered one correctly when you and I were talking earlier. Good. So <laughs> yeah, I thought that was good. Um, then I remarried, and that person also believed a Bible preaching church, and we continued in that tradition for quite a while. I actually began to work for a ministry, a nationwide radio network, and um, somewhere around then, a little bit earlier, what, my oldest son came out as gay, and I realized that my faith was, I don't know if shallow is the right word. It wasn't, I wasn't very strong about what I believed in one way or the other. Mm -hmm. I believed in Jesus and I believe God taught us to love each other. 
but this was my child, my oldest child, and I really struggled to make sense of what that meant. Um, my husband believed as Bible-believing, uh, now I know, evangelical churches, <laughs> that... Um, you know, God did not condone people who were gay, did not condone gay marriage, and that if my son lived that lifestyle, that there would be no space in heaven. And that was hard for me. And at the same time, I, though always loved my son, you know, expressed concern about those things mm -hmm. in a soft way. And, and um, a few years later, my other son came out. Um, and it became difficult for me to reconcile what I was hearing within our church, which is a, at the time a very big mega church in Sacramento, California, um, and what I was hearing at work. And I began to have conversation with Bill Barnes, right. who sent me quite a bit of information to read. And that began the process of my deconstruction and figuring out what I do really believe. And I find it so interesting that it takes somebody up, it, not for everybody, for me, it took something really close and up close with me for me to say, no, this is what I believe. Mm -hmm. I don't believe this. Mm -hmm. um, and I eventually made a choice to leave the evangelical church, um, which is not a popular choice, <clears throat> but I did, and continued to read and read alternative Christian authors who are now on the, some of whom are on a list uh, that recently came out of... False Prophets. False Prophets. False Prophets list 2022. 2022. Which is interesting because they're alternative. They were great. They're alternative to one group of people, but we would say they would be theologians and commentators that we would have listened to for... Yes, Rachel yeah. Held you know, Evans. Right, Barbara Jim Brown, Wallace, Barbara, Barbara Brown Taylor. Taylor. Right, these right. are all people that we quote and listen Kate to. Kate Bowler. Right. I don't think she was on the list, but... Her um, many, Nadia Bowles-Weber. Yes. Right, right. You know, people who I love, who I read and thought, oh, yeah, I get that. That makes sense to me. Whereas some of the other things I would hear, I would say to a person I was in a relationship with prior to my leaving, that doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. And I found the response was so defensive. Mm -hmm. Like, who am I to question God, you know, quote, unquote, God's word? Mm -hmm. But I had a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because as you talk about it, uh, you know, Jesus is talking about holding the treasures. And, and in the Sermon on the Mount, of yeah. course, he talks about where your treasure is or your heart is. And your treasure was your son. Mm. And, and your treasure was your children. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what you were hearing from faith was telling you that they were not a treasure to God. And right. so it, it's really about holding the treasure of your children with a new understanding of, of that God sees your children as beloved mm -hmm. and you're allowed to see the children as beloved mm -hmm. too, which is interesting kind of take and, on all and of And allowed is the right word because I, I felt a tension of, are you allowed to accept 
and still be a, you know, quote, good Christian. Mm -hmm. And I remember we went on um, Bill Barnes' trip to the Holy Land in 2018. And I remember thinking when I was there, and Bill and I had many more conversations on that trip right. about the kids and about where my faith was evolving and, and thinking to myself, it really just is as easy as Jesus. Mm -hmm. We make it so complicated, mm -hmm. but it's not. And Jesus really just wants us to love other people. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had love each other put on a ring in Hebrew when we were there. And I think my partner at the time probably thought I was talking about him. And <laughs> I'm like, sure. <laughs> Still got the ring. I don't have that person. <laughs> so it's interesting because Bill, I think it, I think that's important for people to hear is that Bill, you know, helped people deconstruct their faith around mm -hmm. here for years yeah. before he we did. even called it deconstruction. Right. It was really right. building a faith based on the kingdom right. of God and based on our core values and that that was happening you know, years, years and years and years ago, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting because this podcast comes out the week before Pulse. Mm -hmm. um, and what would it mean right. for the church to learn how to deconstruct um, and hold the treasures together mm -hmm. and not throw out the orthodoxy of Jesus and right. Jesus Christ is the son of God and, and Jesus Christ died on the cross and, and things like that, that people seem to feel like we have to throw out or throw out the word of God. But what does it mean to hold that with the new treasure of this grace and this new understanding mm -hmm. like you've done. Well, and we mm -hmm. also just finished a few weeks ago of, of doing um, a Discover in a Partnership class where people learn about who we are as St. Luke's theologically and as a church. And what we keep hearing from people is what, what you referenced, Lisa, is that just the permission giving mm -hmm. to go, you, you can even start to explore which we don't, we don't stop there, but even being told, sure, ask the question, is, is revolutionary out of some church backgrounds, mm -hmm. out of some theological experiences, out of the way that, that control is held in different spaces. And we aren't unique to that. We are not no, the only not church that says you can ask questions. Right. It's not a St. Luke's you know, thing, um, but it, it is something that we value and, and lead with. And so mm -hmm. even if you know, that work that Bill has done with people and even your work, I, don't, I, I imagine Bill didn't go into it trying to lead you down a different path very no. specifically. Mm -hmm. It was giving you the space and new information mm -hmm. and, and the work to do your own discernment. Yes. And so often in those other spaces, discernment is done for you and then given, you're given the results of someone else's discernment and asked to take that on rather than doing that work yourself, which is why when you're, you're put between my, my church and my beliefs and my son, Right. It's it it you're you're left with a complicated situation. One of my former ministry employer, I I had within the last year, I had my boss who knew exactly the journey I was on say, you know, I worry about um, I worry about your walk. Mm. I said my walk's fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yes, that permission to mm -hmm. ask questions is often asking questions itself can be seen as heretical, and it's not. It's part of discerning and part of really wrestling with what is what is true what is true for you what do we know what's the context mm -hmm. the time and making a way through that one of the um one of the authors that i felt gave me a lot of permission was rachel held evans mm -hmm. 
where she talks about the Bible being stories and myths and poems to help us understand the heart of God. And when I really thought about that, it made so much sense to me and allowed me to let go of some of the passages that were troubling to me. Mm-hmm. And hold on to what the, the, the power, I think this makes you dig into the word of God even more powerfully, mm-hmm. more deeply. And, and it makes you wrestle and struggle with it, which is very scriptural because it's the rabbinic way. It's the midrash, mm-hmm. it's, yes. it's understanding that. So, so it's interesting because you started to talk about it. I think you and Melissa really, what, what Bill did for you mm-hmm. is what we're trying to talk about now. Mm-hmm. We want people to learn their story and to mm-hmm. wrestle with it, to live with it in community, um, to love God and God's story through worship, and then go and lead their life as public theologians. Mm-hmm. And the idea that we are, we clergy are not the primary theologians. You are the primary theologian of your life. Mm-hmm. And you're called to lead God's story with your life. And that's what this whole podcast for the next few weeks are about, is how are you learning this and going through this deconstruction, how does it change how you lead your life with God's story? And you have left a career um, for 30 years in HR and you're on a new path. God's kind of leading you to be a public theologian. So talk to us about that journey. (laughs) I, it's interesting because I was so tired of human resources and didn't want to do it anymore but I worked really hard mm-hmm. <laughs> to, I have multiple certifications in the field and had developed a depth of knowledge and skill of practice that um, it, it, at the time it wasn't hard to walk away. What I realized in the months after is that I was super, super burnt out and mm-hmm. had been probably for a year or two. Mm-hmm. So I left and started a master's program uh, in applied psychology. Uh, I'm still figuring out a little bit what I'm going to do with that, but part of it is I am a certified coach and will be working with women to help them find, find their own truth at the middle of life. I think that's a hard time for a lot of women. And so I'm going to be doing that. Um, helping them understand how to love themselves. And I feel like the degree will uh, further my knowledge in that area. Applied psychology is also interesting because it um, looks at how to use psychology to solve real life problems. I'm thinking about doing a thesis looking at the problems created for women within that evangelical church. And the implications of that and what um, damage that does to Mm -hmm. women, um, which would require another degree. And I might be okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) So I've realized that I can bring forward my HR expertise because, for example, in a class right now, statistics, which is the worst thing in the world. I'm not even I'm not even lying about that. But, but we work off a model of having a hypothetical client and you have to write to the client it's right up my alley. Mm-hmm. That's what I had to do all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm seeing how I can marry those and just trying to bring into my practice um, an understanding of loving other people and what that looks like lived out. I used to think that um, living out my faith required me to be evangelical and 
in the church I was in, it was the going up to people in the mall and saying, do you know when you're going where you're dying? I would never do that. I could never understand that. Mm -hmm. Had people I were on my team who were doing that right now. That was never me and I couldn't quite grasp what it looked like for me. For me, it looks like loving on people. Mm -hmm. Loving on all people. The, the homeless guy who I see every morning. A guy hit my car in the Costco parking lot the other day. And I, it honestly didn't bother. I mean, it's a little bit of a hassle, but incredibly apologetic, gave me all of his information. I'm convinced he didn't set off for Costco that morning thinking, I, th I think I'll go hit a car. Right. Right? <laughs> right. Like people right. are trying to do their best. Right. Right. And if you can do that, it makes it a lot easier to love them. Even difficult people. Doesn't mean you have to be in a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> But to just extend that love in your heart of, of knowing that God loves them too, mm -hmm. you know, then who am I to have that judgment? I love the way that, that you just described what it means to lead your life with mm -hmm. God's story. So you've gone through this whole work in your own faith. You've seen mm -hmm. um, what a, a more narrow understanding of faith has done to you and to, and to other women that you know. And so taking that plus your career and going, God's leading me in a new direction. And mm -hmm. I'm going to do my theology publicly by serving other women and coaching other women and giving them a mm -hmm. voice mm -hmm. um, where they may not have had. That's exactly what it means to define this, hold the treasure of the old and the new all together. So what would you say, God, how have you heard God leading you to this? I hear God giving me courage. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it's hearing or feeling it, mm -hmm. feeling courage. It's, it's unsettling for me not to be working. I'm doing a little bit of consulting, but it's a little unsettling and I'm trying to be okay with that because I also am conscious that God, I really believe, doesn't want me to rush to fill the space. Mm, nice. And to rush to feel that I have to be productive. And so school is a lot of work. Uh, it's a lot of work. You know that, it's Jen. A lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And, you know, graduate work is a lot of work. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm dedicating to that. But I, I'm trying to listen to that calling, mm -hmm. to slow down, to do it well, to prepare instead of rushing into something. That comes from my own inner panicky voice that isn't the truth. That's great. So thanks for being with us, Lisa. We hope as people listen that it sparks something in them um, to figure out, you know, what is it that God's calling you to do? How is how is how are you leading your life with God's story and and allowing the kingdom of God to be revealed through what you do? We'll see you next week um, as we come together to hear another Kingdom of Heaven podcast um, and figure out where God may be leading you. 